All right. On today's episode, we have Adam Alkheim, Chief Operating Officer of Vitality Now and has 16 years of experience in direct response marketing and operations. And he's become a powerhouse as a second-in-command integrator, helping companies scale. He's also a great friend and someone I consider to be the go-to in consulting for operations. Now, we're going to talk about one topic that should be very exciting to you, and that's how to get the $10 million in revenue as a company, as a business, and then what to tweak along the way to go past $10 million and start to double in size and growth. Now, the other thing to consider is that you need to understand how to not hire the wrong people and how you can instead create a culture of people that want the best for your company just as you do. Like they're almost little mini CEOs. <laughs> and we're going to talk about how to attract top talent to your business and make your workplace the place that everyone wants to go to and apply to. And listen, if you're looking to join a business, we're going to also identify the best ways to develop a win-win with any business so that you make more money for yourself and make yourself the most attractive candidate in the crowd when you're looking to be hired. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome everyone to the Partner Up Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Viancourt, a former introverted small towner who now adds value to businesses by sharing the most effective ways to grow and scale using affiliate and influencer partnership strategies. I'll share the lessons I've learned over the past 15 years while helping my clients generate more than 100 million in sales. We'll also dive into productivity hacks, mindset, and the newest trends from real case studies and expert interviews. You're just one partnership away from changing your business. So get ready, partner up, and profit. Let's get into it. All right, Adam Alkheim, welcome to the Partner Up Profits podcast. My friend, my super awesome friend, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure. It's, I'm very glad to be here, Joey. I'm very honored that you invited me onto the podcast and I'm happy to share any insights I possibly can on my end, man, for sure. I'm super excited. I always have great conversations with Adam and he's a behind the scenes guy that should really be in the spotlight in my opinion in a lot of ways, but you found like where you're comfortable. But before we get started, what's something interesting about you, especially being behind the scenes that some other people might not know? Are we talking about the business side here or just anything personal as well? Oh, man, wherever you want to take it. I would say, well, first of all, I'm very passionate about business and direct response and e-com businesses and what I do within them. But I would say my ultimate passion is definitely golf. I was introduced to the sport probably when I was around 20 or 21. So I've been playing just under 20 years. It's not necessarily just the game itself, but the life skills that I've learned from it, integrity, communication, just ultimately just not cheating and just being honest and Scoring relationships and the amount of people I've met on the golf course around the world. I've traveled everywhere and I've played everywhere and I've just met some amazing people. So I would think I would say that's probably one thing that people that don't know me wouldn't know much about, but that would probably be my big passion. So knowing that we're from Canada, of course, I like heading down south in the wintertime and getting to enjoy that passion down there as well. So that would probably be one big thing that I just absolutely love these days, man. That's awesome. And how much of a super connector move is it for networking? I think it's just super important. It's funny, I've never, well, I just brought Robbie, actually my business partner on the golf course in Austin a couple of weeks ago. But besides that, I don't think anything business related with people in our space at this point. I've done a lot of networking with, but there are people in Toronto that actually helped me with some manufacturing stuff that I had met just out of the blue through some networks that I met them on the golf course. And I was introduced to a new manufacturer to produce one of my supplements that I was doing with my brother a few years ago. So just things like that. You never know who you might come across on a golf course. And when you spend five hours with someone through 18 holes, you really understand what kind of person they are, how do they play the game, 
Do they get angry? Do they throw clubs? Are they calm, <laughs> and collected? So you can really get a good grasp of someone's sense of character by being on the golf course with them for that period of time. And I could see that. It's like a stress test on a relationship. And hey, do I want to work with this person or not? <laughs> 100%. That actually is <laughs> part of our hiring process actually moving forward of spending like half a day on a golf course with the potential tendencies. <laughs> Man. Okay. So I got, I got a funny story to start this off with too. So I was thinking back, I'm like, when did I meet Adam? And I was on a treadmill back in Vegas for a mastermind, I think in like 2009. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, this other guy beside me was your brother way back in the day. And we yeah. had this like conversation. We're talking like Vince Delvani and it was like Craig Valentine and like Pedro's Cooley and all these guys. But you and I didn't meet till, was it Healthpreneur? Would that have been the first time we met? It might have been Healthpreneur, it might have been TNC. I can't remember, it was probably around 2015 or 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And then of course we did our affiliate relationships together between both companies and expanded the relationship from there, of course, right? So. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was interesting. So yeah, I knew Yuri a lot longer than I, I'd known you, but yeah, so today's episode, listen, we're gonna help you understand both opportunities. If you have a company and you're struggling operations or sales, and by the way, lack of sales can be directly linked to a lack of operations and systems. Like people, provided you've got a great product, okay? If you've got a great product that's you know your mechanism to go to the next level and you're not getting there, it's most likely one of those two things. And also, it's also that like Adam's positioned himself in a very unique way in this industry to be an amazing integrator. And there's such career opportunities for people that have great operational minds and system-oriented minds to go into a company that's craving that and just create this wonderful harmony of business partners or just, again, career ladders that you can develop for yourself. So I really want to focus on both of these things. But your specialty, as you've kind of told me, it's like I could take companies from 10 million and beyond and get them operationally efficient to get to the next level. So we're going to talk about that. And everyone's going to benefit from this episode, by the way. So if you run, manage online companies' products, and we're also gonna deliver value on scaling past the $10 million mark. And I'd like to also just uncover like, how do you get to the $10 million mark, right? There's might be some things you can expedite in those senses too. But yeah. for those of you who don't know Adam, I'm gonna start off with a little bit of a formal intro, just give me some props here. So Adam is a silent behind the scenes powerhouse, okay? With an impressive track record spanning over 16 years in direct response, marketing and operations. So like we call it the DR world. So if you hear DR a lot, that's really what we're referring to. And Adam's the Chief Operating Officer, COO of Vitality Now. And he's an impressive journey growing from an operator, helping manager. Well, you were managing Yuri's business for quite a while, right? Like your brother's business. And then you became a co-owner, a partner, and of one of the, well, one of the more successful original health and fitness companies in the direct response space. Mm -hmm. Since then, co-owner, partner of the original health and fitness space. And then now you've, so you sold your business, one of the businesses right before COVID. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. Amazing, right? Right, for sure. So does that kind of sum up the history of Adam or anything we missed there? Yeah, I would say that's kind of the Coles Notes version of it for sure. So I can kind of go a little more into detail about my experience in direct response and online businesses and entrepreneurship. And straight out of high school, I worked for one of the big financial companies or financial banking companies in Canada for many years. And I just never really jived with the rat race and the nine to five schedule and you know, making a lot of people uh, money for other people instead of myself. There's always something wrong with that. And I never felt like I was getting a lot of enough credit for what I was doing for these companies and helping them grow their business. So my brother knew, you know, my brother's a health and fitness expert. He was a professional soccer player for many years. When that dream died, he was personal training downtown in Toronto. And he just hated that kind of rat race kind of lifestyle as well. 
So funnily enough, one of his clients actually said like, Yuri, we know you don't like doing this, but why don't you actually record yourself on like an MB3 and then people could download your workout and then they can just put your their headphones in and kind of guide you through the workouts uh, through like an MP3 workout program. And that's where it really all started. It was the MP3 personal trainer was our first product. My brother approached me. He's like, I have this idea. Would you like to embark on it? So I partnered up with him. I started kind of like the customer service side of things when we were really small. But eventually, once we actually started scaling the brand and the business, I became pretty much the integrator of his vision. So anything that he wanted to bring into the business, he would give me the idea and then I would run with it with the team. So that's kind of like where it started. We ran that business very successfully up until 2019, January. Yuri had moved on to his own company, The Healthpreneur at that point, and I was running it pretty much on my own. But I was like, you know what, we've been doing this for so many years, maybe it's time to move on from that. So thankfully we found a buyer for the company. We sold and exited in January of 2019. You know, a couple of people I knew in the space just from the networking events that we go to, knew my skill sets. They had a company called Vitality Now. My business partner now, Robbie Amaro, Amaro reached out to me and he's like, you know what, we're at this point now with this company where we're doing very well, but we're lacking systems and structure and infrastructure to actually scale us to the next level. So I partnered up with them. Well, I guess we sold, sorry, in January 2020, not 2019, getting my ears confused here. So anyways, yeah, we partnered up with them or I partnered up with them in March of 2020. And I've been a business partner and co-owner with that company ever since. And it's been going really well. Yeah, it's amazing. I also appreciate the fact that Robbie was able to identify that in his own business because sometimes you're too close to it and you just, you refuse to say like there's an issue here. But the fact that he can recognize, oh, I need operations. Oh, I need systems. Yeah, and obviously it's an amazing journey of, first off, congrats to be able to work with your brother and still have a relationship after the fact because I know working with family is not always easy. (laughs) But like, was your family an entrepreneurial family or was that kind of something you and Yuri took on? I think Yuri and I kind of saw both perspectives of it. So my dad owned a small business. He had a clothing store in downtown Toronto. So he was an entrepreneur, but he kind of gave himself like a seven day a week job by just putting himself in that clothing store every day of the week. He wasn't really good at operations or delegating. I think there was a trust factor involved with him where he always wanted to be around. Mm. Maybe it was a hiring process, I'm not too sure. And then on the other spectrum, my mom worked for ExxonMobil and she worked for them for 35 years. Typical, wake up at 5 a.m., go to work for 12 hours a day, be super stressed out, deal with traffic back and forth, you know, to and from work, then take us to soccer five days a week. So she never had any time to herself and she was always stressed out. And I think the fact that Yuri and I saw that growing up, we saw what my mom went through and also kind of the entrepreneurial setup that my dad had. We respected him for what he did, but we also understood that if we wanted to go down that route, we wouldn't want to be opening up like a brick and mortar store. Where we actually had to work out of seven days a week either. Right. Mm. And so we told ourselves and through my experience working with the bank as well, I'm just like, this is not for me. And we want to do something like my dad, but that's going to offer us a little more flexibility and freedom. So that's kind of where we came up with this idea. And funnily enough with Yuri and I, we always butted heads growing up. We're different personalities, but what made our partnership so successful is that he was an amazing visionary and marketer. And I was really good at actually operating the ideas and operating the business with the team and kind of bringing his ideas to fruition on the back end. So we really complement each other. We never fought once actually through our entire 13, 14 year business venture together, which is kind of surprising because we used to fight all the time before we worked together. So it was an amazing experience with him. He is just 
a savant when it comes to everything, when it comes to marketing, operations, everything. So I had learned so much from them. All the skill sets that I learned from running that company, I've been able to kind of bring into both next phases of my career as well. So it was really fun. Love that. I love the visionary integrator roles. Knowing your own superpowers too is very powerful in itself and understanding and identifying that early on. And it, and I think just like to, to to give some like listeners some value here, if you're like having that light bulb go off of like, yeah, I'm the visionary and I have nobody to organize my life. Or if you're a great integrator and you're like, I want to find a great visionary to organize their life. Again, perfect harmony. And obviously your Adam is a perfect testament to that. Now, I want to rant with you because you and I rant quite a bit and I love our rants more than anything else. So we don't have to like go on anything specific, but I really want to focus on a couple of things here. One, maybe it was in a cubicle for you, but I escaped a corporate cubicle cage. I always refer to it as that. It just felt like that for me. Nowadays, online work is part of our ecosystem. It's part of our language. Everyone's aware of it. But I still think that there's a, a gap that needs to be bridged between you know, escaping a corporate lifestyle, going into this new world of online work, but still maintaining that lifestyle and that freedom of lifestyle. So like paint us a picture of what that looks like, because what I'm referring to is like now people can work online, but they're still kind of like stuck to the confines of like, oh, you have to work nine to five. Oh, your weekends, your your benefits. And like that hasn't been my experience whenever I started back in like 2007. There were no benefits. There were no titles necessarily. It was like, come deliver value, make money, have, do what you need to do, but get it done. And if you do, we pay you. And if not, you're not a good fit. <laughs> so like, what does a day in life of Adam now look like with just the business you're running? Because it's a wonderful life. And I know you play a lot of golf, but like it's, it's freedom, right? It is, there's no question. I think it took me several years to get to this point within my career where I think I had this notion when I started off working with Yuri and especially starting a business from scratch, like you're gonna put in a lot of time and effort at the beginning, right? But I think at one point, people always feel this like imposter syndrome that if I'm not working 70 hours a week that I'm just failing at something. And I think it's important to have great work ethic. And I think that's the only way you're actually going to get ahead in life. But I think it's also about working smart and really understanding what your superpowers are and delegating anything else that you know that you're not amazing at. And I think the problem is with a lot of small business owners that are maybe in that niche between one and two million, oh, sorry, one and 10 million in revenue is it's very difficult for the visionary and the CEO to really relinquish control on a lot of stuff that they do day to day. And I think when you get to a point where you have systems and processes on how to hire the right people, and of course we made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I think that's how you learn down the road, is you're gonna find the right people to replace things that you're just not good at. And when you find these people, that's when you're able to really maximize your time efficiency. So nowadays what I do is usually I'm up around 5.30 a.m. I love working from Starbucks because I've been working from home for so many years and especially going through COVID in Canada. I need to just be around people. Even if I'm not talking with them, I just need to have like some social feeling around me kind of thing. Mind you, my headphones are on the entire time my own things, but it's nice to see other people. So what I do is I usually do my deep work first thing in the morning and deep work, as pretty much everyone knows, is like the most important one or two things you should be doing that day. Once I've gotten that out of the way, then I kind of work down my to-do list on anything else that is going to be priority for that given week. So at this point in my career, honestly, Joey, because we have a business that is so structured, a lot of the stuff that I do after the day to day, after my deep work 
is really following up on the different departments that work for us and just to make sure everything is working properly. And if things aren't working properly, how can I help maximize the capacity and efficiency of those individuals in that specific role? And honestly, like these days, like I don't, well, of course there are days where I'll work 10 and 12, 10 to 12 hours, but honestly, like anything over seven hours of straight work, you're kind of going to check out mentally. There's only so much mental capacity that human beings have. And I just find that anything ab above that, I'm really not paying attention to it as much as I should be. So I've kind of like limited myself where I'll wake up, I'll go to Starbucks, I'll work the three, four hours on deep work. I'll come back home. I'll check in with the team. Usually like my serious work for the day is done at one o'clock. I'll go to the gym, I'll do a workout, I'll come home, have some lunch. At that point, maybe I have some meetings in the afternoon, but if it's a lighter day then and it's summertime, of course, then I'll go out to the golf course if I have time for it. So I just kind of got over, over that, I guess, fear that if I'm not working all the time, that I'm not successful because the more efficient I've been in managing my time, the more successful I've actually become. And I'm not wasting time anymore, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how I do it, man. I love everything you said, except for getting up at 5.30 a.m. That's not for me, but <laughs> you do you. And what I was trying to also kind of extract from you, and you painted the perfect picture, so thank you for elaborating on it, was okay. if you're a company and you're trying to attract people, don't create another corporate cubicle cage scenario, meaning find value drivers, people that are there to support the mission in the company and develop a culture and community of that type of experience versus you need to be online from this hour. And hey, listen, you can have company constraints, that's fine, but keep it loose, keep it flexible, build upon something that was wonderful way back before it was ever a thing and keep that culture going. Because to me, teams and people and culture is gonna be the leading driving force for successful companies online going forward. The ones that are gonna keep trying to build this corporate structure and make it even more corporate as things evolve with online work, in my opinion, are gonna be the ones that I don't wanna to go to, I don't wanna send people to. And vice versa, if you're coming into a company and they're kind of giving you all this structure, make sure to remember that this is a lifestyle business and it can be a freedom lifestyle business. So I just, I just like both Adam and I have experienced this and it's wonderful and I have teams now, I have people that are empowered to make decisions, they feel comfortable, they've got freedom and they're driving value for the company. I'm yes. not micromanaging, I'm not looking at my clock saying you're five minutes late, like, all of those micromanaging things, all the corporate things, get rid of them as much as you can, but keep proper structure. So I just wanted to like, I wanted to rant about that because I'm, I'm really, I'm for the people when it comes to it. I've been more on the integrator side than I have been on the visionary. I've been a company owner, I've done all that side of it, but I also see both sides to it now, which is a great feeling to be on both sides and to really fight for both uh, at the same time. I couldn't agree more, man. I think I still suffer from PTSD from the corporate structure that I was with within the bank, where I remember like I had a doctor's appointment over my lunch break and I came back like three minutes late and my boss was sitting at my desk and she's like, Adam, you know, three minutes late, it's just unacceptable. And I'm like, I can't believe we're actually having a conversation about this at this point. Like it was just like ridiculous. And I knew that was another red flag where this is never gonna be for me long-term. But I, I totally agree with you, man. And I think it depends on the role that the individual plays within the company. So if you're a customer service rep and you're on the phone team, of course you're gonna have dedicated hours where you need mm -hmm. to be calls. But what I try to do these days with my business partner and with our teams is that it all comes down to hiring and making sure that you're hiring like eight players that, A players, excuse me, that 
aren't really going to be looking at the clock all the time, but they have key performance indicators that they have to hit in order for their role to be successful. So if you're hitting everything, I don't care if you screw off on a Thursday afternoon and go golfing or go and enjoy time with the family because you've already reached your goals for that given week. And I think what Robbie and I try to do is we try to empower people in management roles within the divisions of our company to consider themselves almost like entrepreneurs within the business, kind of like an entrepreneur. Mm. So we're like, listen, like one of her colleagues, Paula, she handles like day-to-day operations, project management stuff. She oversees the customer service stuff too. And then I support her any way I can. But I always tell her, I'm like, Paula, I want you to consider this like you're and treat this like your own business, because when you do, you're really going to put all your heart into it. And of course, we compensate her very well. And she's very happy where she is. And I feel like when you empower someone to believe that they're making significant changes in everything they do day to day, they just want to be there. You know, they don't consider work work. There's like a motivation there where it's like, when I think about work now, Joey, it's not like what I thought about work when I was at the bank. Like I love doing what I do every day. And I'm so blessed that we have the opportunity of doing what we do as well. And the fact that we can do it anywhere in the world just makes you know entrepreneurship online that much better. So mm. those are kind of the things that we do with our team members to just kind of empower them and not put these guidelines in place where it's like, you gotta be logging in at nine o'clock and checking out at five o'clock. We don't work that way, man. And I think that those kind of constraints will just make this next generation of society go elsewhere because I think the whole corporate environment is becoming obsolete at this point. And I think COVID kind of like changed the way we think about business. And I think this new generation coming up, man, they're just not going to put up with that stuff. So we're kind of moving with the times as well. If you've ever been interested in leveling up in partnership marketing, including affiliate and influencer marketing, as well as developing stronger partnerships and making better connections, then I want to invite you to check out PartnerUpProfits.com. It's a passion project dedicated to helping you simplify your business and personal life by giving you access to done-for-you templates, blueprints, and systems related to partnership marketing that you can instantly start to use and see results from. I've always been a systems guy, and the beauty of systems is that it takes the guesswork out of the process and gives you a plan that you can use immediately while saving you time and effort. So you'll get access to free training and courses on everything partnership marketing related to level up your knowledge. And because I have a soft spot for the boots on the ground folks out there who are expected to get more done in less time using less money, the systems I'm giving you are based on a bootstrap budget so you don't need to spend thousands of dollars right out of the gate. Just go to partnerupprofits.com and sign up through my free course to get my productivity toolbox, which includes templates for scorecards, objective planning, relationship tracking templates, productivity hacks, opportunity calculators, time blocking templates, and a whole bunch more cheat sheets being added regularly that will totally transform you into a partnership marketing expert and productivity ninja. You can also get access to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing course that has over two hours of content where I'll teach you the right way to start working with influencers, including how to outreach, prospect, and close deals and start developing more partnerships and building your influencer army. Go to partnerupprofits.com and get access now. Yeah, and and you you brought up two really good points. And one is for me, (laughs) the stress test for me for do you like what you do or not? is am I looking at my clock saying how many more hours do I have because I want to get the heck out of here? Or is it like, oh my God, I can't believe the day's over. I wanted more time to do more things. And you got to be careful because when you do get to that wonderful zone of this is awesome, time's flying by, I don't have enough time to do it, you can get to the into the hustle mode 
which, yes. you know, my friend Carrie Jacks has a happy hustle. And like, you know, I'm, 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 by the way, I'm part of Carrie's mastermind and his happy hustle club because I need that accountability because I get caught in the like, I need to get it all done. And I want to get more done. I want to conquer. And yeah. to your point, back to the other thing that you'd mentioned was KPIs, key performance indicators. That's the owner's responsibility so that the person they're hiring is accountable and they can become successful. If you don't have clear guidelines or the finish line in place, Nobody knows if you're actually doing anything. And then it's just the opinions that surface, which opinions are data driven. So the reason why I'm in the position I'm in is because I had great mentors and leaders that to your point, empowered me, gave me the choice of, hey, let's create a partnership out of this rather than just a career potentially. And from then on, things changed, things clicked. All of a sudden I wasn't looking at the clock. Like, oh, I've got eight hours left. It's like, oh my God, I've got eight hours left. I gotta get this done. I I wanna get it done. I've got so much more. How can I leverage my time? And you start expanding your thought process. You start wanting to evolve. You wanna get bigger and better and everything you're doing. So that's just like, that's, I get excited. I'm passionate about that. And I really want everyone to feel that on teams and in companies. So. Let's dive into it though. Like I want to talk, everyone cares about money, right? It, it's all great talking teams, operations, but like, let's talk about the journey to $10 million. Okay. Just, and then I want to kind of talk about, you know, expanding past that, but like how easy is it to hit $10 million in your opinion, if you're like an econ brand with a great product and company right now? So that's a million dollar question right there. So <laughs> I think there's different ways of doing it. Of course, I'm not the expert marketer, but I've seen things that we put in place to make sure that we get to those those metrics that we're trying to hit and those goals we're trying to hit, right? So I think first of all, it's about having like a good product. That's the number one thing. So if you're in the supplement space that most of us are, at least in the direct response side of things, like you have to be proud of the supplement that you want to manufacture, that you're willing to share it with your friends and family and use it yourself if it's applicable to whatever you're looking for. That's the first thing. Second of all is you need to really be good at marketing. So you need to have an amazing copywriter that's just, you know, whatever they write for, it just converts. So thankfully, over the years of networking and relationships, like you come across these people eventually at some point in your career, hopefully when you go to networking events or just through mm. contacts or whatever the case may be. So that would be the second thing. Third thing is just showing a lot of value to the customer, you know, when they're watching your VSL or a tech sales letter or going onto your econ page or however you're selling the product, there has to be a compelling reason for people to want to buy it. You know, like if you're suffering from brain health issues and you're a little older, like when they're reading this copy, they really need to feel connected to it. Like I always compare it to like, you know, golf things for me because I'm so passionate about it. So I have this issue in my golf swing that because I'm 6'5", I'm tall. So I usually sway a lot in my golf swing. So if I saw an ad on YouTube, for example, that's like, hey, watch this video. I'm going to fix your golf swing. It's like, okay, sure. I've heard this a million times. But if I read an ad that said, watch this video and I can help the sway in your golf swing to improve it, that is a lot more catered to exactly what my pain point is in my golf swing and something that I've always wanted to conquer. So the more focused you are on the pain point for the listener or the viewer or whoever's seeing your offer, the better it's always going to convert. So of course you got to look at that. That's the primer, uh, the the number one thing you got to be looking at. But it's also like post sales things that you could be doing as well, right? So you've acquired the customer at this point. That's going to be probably predominantly around seventy percent of your revenue. But there's a lot of other things that could be done on the back end when it comes to email marketing. Are you mailing out to your list every day? Are you doing additional promos? Do you have uh, complimentary products and services that you can sell to these individuals uh, based on the original thing that they um, initially purchased from you, right? 
Do you have an outbound phone sales team that can help you actually close more product to these individuals over the phone? So there's so many different things that go into it that it is a loaded question, but I would say that the one thing that I've seen with all these small businesses that are, are between the one and 10 million mark is they have an amazing funnel. They have an amazing offer. It's converting like hotcakes, but there's no backend infrastructure. And the problem is with a lot of these visionaries and CEOs that come into our space is maybe they're just really good marketers and they think that they can run everything themselves. And then they get to a point where they're at nine and 10 million and they're losing money because they're not looking at their cogs or their cash flow or they're hiring people that are just not good at their role and they're burning, burning money left, right and center. And I think one thing I've noticed with our industry too is people don't understand the ROI of having someone like me within their company because they think like, oh, it's an integrator, it's an operator, like there's no ROI on it because I'm not bringing any money to the table. But what I'm doing is I'm creating an efficient strategy for the company to maximize profit. That's ultimately what I do and maximize efficiency. So, you know, I've had many conversations with a lot of companies where it's like, yeah, we're doing seven, eight million, but we think we have this under control. So I don't think we need an operator. I'm like, okay, well, I disagree, but to each their own. And I'm sure I'll hear from you a couple of years from now when shit's falling apart, right? So eventually at some point when they get close to that $10 million mark, man, they notice that things are falling apart. And that's usually when they reach out to individuals like us who are like, there's fires everywhere. I don't know how to handle this. Please help me with this kind of thing. <laughs> and then you come in with like, you know, the fire extinguisher and like, you know, the hat and everything. And just I got the Superman cape on. And the fireman. Like, oh, and that's it. Oh, <laughs> I'm on deck. Let's get it done. But the problem is, is that people do it reactively instead of proactively, right? So yeah. I think that's the benefit about these conversations is that people will understand this before they get even get to that point. So they have the infrastructure in place so they're not burning cash down the road. Yeah, and that's super important. And you mentioned two things that really kind of jumped out at me was the, I've said this before, it's called what I refer to as vertical scaling, but horizontally failing. So, mm -hmm. you know, they've got a great offer. They've got one great thing going off for themselves. It's going well, but that's, there's a limit to how high that ceiling is. And then eventually if you're not horizontally scaling, you're gonna be horizontally failing. And there's a lot of rotting fruit on the ground, whether it's an upsell funnel, not converting, whether it's a kind of a workflow series to customers selling them other products, just somebody coming in and identifying these things, but then making sure that operationally, executionally, they're getting done. <laughs> and what a beautiful, like, again, I would, I would kill for that $10 million company, but you just can't seem to get to the next level, bring in somebody to identify this kind of like an auditor. And then you yeah. just kind of start to work at things one by one. And then the beauty of this is that you can walk away from it because you're giving the person peace of mind too. You're giving yes. them the fact that you have now a system. It's not reliant only on you. You can still do what you're doing, but do more of it. Do more of your zone of genius stuff. And yeah. the other thing that I like, I want to go back, has nothing to do with it, but it has everything to do with it, is the abundance mentality when it comes to networking. Yeah. So back in, there's been many times I've heard people talk about this. What was the ROI on that event? Well, okay, so I, I got sent to an event and you guys want to hear an ROI. How many hires I've done in five years, in the past seven years maybe, from events that I've been to in the past 15 years? How many copywriters I've met? How many people that just get an intro done for me? Like you, it's an ROR, return on relationships, not an ROI. And the yeah. fact that you've identified that way sooner than I think I ever did, I was always looking at like, how could this guy promote? How could this girl, you know, send me like, I was in that for a long time. And then I was like, you know what? 
I'm just gonna go and vibe with people, have a good time, have fun, make some friends, offer some value, but have no expectations. And that served me and I know it's served you. And like, you're, you're a master networker, whether you say it or not, I, I've noticed from afar and I've always admired it. I'm like, you're, you're sorry, man, I keep saying Yuri instead of Adam, but you guys like tied in my mind, but Adam is like an amazing networker and he does it with such like casual grace. <laughs> and I don't know if that was like, just because your superpower is that, or if literally you train yourself to do that. It's funny you say that because I consider myself like the ultimate introvert. I love spending time by myself. <laughs> I don't really like people that much. You know, I really enjoy spending time with like close friends and family. But with that being said, like the people in our industry, there's a lot of solid people out there that are just like you and I. And I feel that maybe it's just my personality. I'm really good at socializing in those settings. But if I go to an event for three days, I'm recovering for seven days after. And I hear <laughs> a lot of people listening I'll probably feel the same way. So you're definitely not the only ones out there. That's for sure. But like, honestly, Joey, like Yuri and I learned the hard way back in 2009 because we came out with this MP3 personal trainer thing, but we didn't know what direct response marketing was. So what did we do? We're like, hey, let's go and manufacture these CDs. We'll call them like treadmill trainers and, you know, people can do the running workouts and just put them on their CD player. So we, you know, manufactured like 30,000 discs of the different volumes that we had. We went to trade shows across Canada, handing them out, thinking that that was going to be like the be all end all for us. And that was going to get us to the next level. We ended up like burning like $150,000 very quickly. We were in a situation where like, well, what are we supposed to do? Because clearly our skill set is not ROIing on what we think we should be getting for this business. So, you know, Yuri decided one day, he's like, hey, let's go to an event in Washington hosted by Yannick Silver. And just by going to that one event, man, Yuri met Vince Del Monte, who was already in direct response on ClickBank. And that's really when the floodgates opened. Then we're like, what's ClickBank? And then we learned about that. Then we learned about funnels and tech sales letters and upsell flows and affiliate referrals and this and that. And we expanded from there. But as you know, I was behind the scenes with Yuri because he was the company's face. So he went to all these events. And when he moved on, I was like, okay, well, now that I'm running things, I probably should go and get my name out there. And there was a lot of people I already knew just from the back end networking stuff and hopping on calls to talk about JV relationships, joint venture relationships and stuff like that. But everything I have today and my success is due to going to events. I remember five years ago, I was at TNC. We were on one of the party buses going somewhere <laughs> and I looked across the bus and I saw Robbie and I'm like, you're Robbie Amaro, right? And he's like, yeah, you're Adam Elkheim. I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? And we hit it off immediately because I knew he played volleyball. I like I love playing volleyball as well. So we connected immediately. We went out for dinner the next night at a great time. And that night I said, I guarantee we're going to be business partners at some point down the road. <laughs> Three years later, we started working together and we are just crushing it today. And he is one of my best friends, man. So you never know who you're going to meet at these events. I never have any expectation on ROI. If that event's cost me $10,000 to go to, I'm not looking to get like affiliate traffic that's going to get me $30,000. I just know by me spending my time with these people, not being selfish about it, asking for anything, but providing more than I'm asking for, good things will come down the road. And that's pretty much been my process ever since then. Yeah, well, what a, what a great story and kind of tie it all in. And the events can be intimidating, but at the same time, once you go to one, you realize like everyone's friendly, everyone's feeling the same as you. 
And if you get a mailing out of it, if you get some traffic, that's just bonus. You know, yeah. you get friendships, like you get wonderful people and you get wonderful opportunities that lead you to the next venture or the next deal or whatever it is, just a wonderful conversation. So that's up to $10 million. Now let's go into the, the next sphere of things here. Companies who are making 10 million might have some operations in place, but they're not at that next level and they wanna to get to the next level. And I've experienced this, I've been part of a few companies that have went from 10 to X amount and we're still growing. I wanna hear your interpretation though, like how do companies solve that $10 million mark and why 10 million in your opinion? Like, is that like, you know, common across companies or? That's, yeah, great question, man. So I just think that 10 million, just from everyone I've spoken to is that kind of that number that once you hit, there's a lot more complexity that goes into getting to 20 million or to 30 million. And to be honest with you, Joey, I'm not the expert to scaling a business to 50 million, but I could get you comfortably to 20 or 25 or 30 million just based on, you know, the tools and skill sets that I've learned over the years, right? So one thing I've realized with $10 million businesses or below $10 million is that it literally could be a small operation. It could be the marketer, the copywriter, the operator that takes care of the cash flow and everything on the back end with manufacturing, a customer service rep, and a web developer. And I know a couple of people personally that did like nine and a half million dollars with that small team very profitably, which is amazing. I think like one thing you have to ask yourself as a business owner is like, what is the end game here? And really base every decision off of that. So if your end game is to either have an exit strategy for the company or I want to grow this to 20 million and be 15% net profitable because I have this financial goal that I want to achieve, then great. Every decision after that has to work backwards from that North Star goal. So my goal, for example, for my company right now is to hit 15% net profit margins on our supplements and our funnels. We were around what, eight to 11% for the last like, I don't know, year, year and a half. But for us to really get to a place comfortably that if we wanna sell the company, we have to hit that number. So one thing that I do as an operator is you have to have systems and processes in place. That's the most important thing. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of this book right here, Traction by Gino Wickman. It just really, you know, follows the EOS method, which is pretty much like setting up different levels of goal structure so you understand how to operate your business on a quarterly basis an annual basis and you know a five-year basis if you want to if that's your goal so what we'll do is we'll be like listen our annual goal right now is to hit 15 percent net profit margin so what we'll do then is we'll break that down into like annual rocks which means things that we can do within the next 12 months that are going to get us to that point so we already know like we have multiple SKUs, we have multiple funnels they're all doing well but things we're missing is really segmentation on email. You know, we have generalized autoresponders right now for all the customers, which is great, but we need to be even more granular with it, that if someone bought one or three bottles from the initial product, but didn't buy in the upsells, they got to be seeing a different autoresponder and different offers than the person that bought everything in the upsell flow and really being that detailed because that's going to really generate that extra revenue. Doing an outbound phone team is really good too to um, entice more sales. Looking at your overhead is an extremely important thing though too, especially for me, I love money and I love saving money. I don't know, it's just, I think it's in my genetics to look at things and be like, why are we wasting money here when we can be spending it there or we can just reduce all the costs altogether. So I was able to look at like our cost of goods for our supplements 
and really negotiate with our manufacturers to reduce them anywhere between five to 20%, depending on the supplement. And when you're at scale, you know, make like we're on track right now to make around 35 million this year, which is amazing. But every cent matters on that cost for that one supplement because you're just selling so much of it, right? So those are things that I really look at, but it's ultimately like having the, the quarterly rocks or the annual rocks and then breaking those down by quarter and really establishing like things that you solely need to be focusing on for those next three months. Every week I have what we call a level 10 meeting with our upper management, where we look at the annual rock, we look at our quarterly rocks, we look at the milestones to achieve those rocks. And if there's anything that's off track from any of those, we go into an IDS section of the call, which is identify, discuss and solve the issue. So there's always takeaways from those meetings on what we can do to fix that issue over the next seven days till we talk again. If that issue comes up the following week, then we actually just have to look at that rock or that milestone to see if it's even feasible at that point. Listen, you're gonna make mistakes in business. Nothing's ever gonna be perfect, so you're not gonna achieve all the rocks, but our goal always is to try to reach at least 80% of them. And I think when you have that kind of structure in there, it keeps you more focused because as you know, Joey, working for the visionaries, like with Yuri and all of these guys, is visionaries cannot stay focused. They always want to do the next big thing, thinking that that's going to be the home run. And I think as the integrator for me, what I do is I do a lot of pushback on the marketing and the CMO, Robbie, and then the, the founder, Brian, as well, where I'm just like, is this idea going to deviate us from our ultimate goal here and distract us? Or would it benefit us? So what I do is I ask them to write out like this impact filter, which is from strategic coach, something Yuri was a part of a few years ago, where it's like a one page document on what's your idea, what's the plan for it, and what ultimately would be the outcome financially for it. I'll review it. I'll push back on questions and be like, how much bandwidth is this going to take? Do we have the time to do it? And if it's yes, yes, yes to everything and I approve it, we move forward with it for the next quarter. And if not, we kind of just put it on the back burner where it's like, it's a great idea, but it's going to get us away from our end goal here, which is the 15% net profit margin. So that's kind of how we structure it. Of course, there's KPIs involved with every different team member within the company. But I think when you're able to identify the end goal for your business, whether that's to sell it or make a lot of cash and be profitable, whatever it is, and you work backwards from there, that's when you're gonna really achieve success, man. Mm -hmm. So much value there, so much gold. And I just had a, a full eight hour planning session yesterday with Bioptimizers and Utopia and, and the Bioverse. And everything you're mentioning is exactly what we went through. We went through traction, went through scaling up and all the things you're saying, I understand them. So for those of you who are completely confused, maybe like KPIs, level 10s and all those things, traction is a great book to actually get to the bottom of that. But ultimately, I think starting with the end in mind is very powerful. Having an accountability systems as to, are we doing that or not? Because we decided that we wanted to accomplish this. It doesn't contribute to that plan. We're not doing that. Okay, great, we move on. And you keep away from the shiny object syndrome. The SOS, which is not a good place to be. And visionaries need this kind of, they need parameters, they need boundaries. Nobody likes to be imposed boundaries upon but boundaries and structure provides freedom, in my opinion, from experience. I've seen it in myself, I've seen it with other companies and people that I've worked with. Those things are going to help you achieve it. So whether or not this stuff's exciting, you don't have to do it. You can bring in an operator, you can bring in your own atom. <laughs> but find people that are, are going to in, 
instill this type of structure and culture within the business to help you get out of your own way if that's not you. And if that is you, find companies that don't have that structure, that crave it, that need it, whether at events, whether through hiring processes. Curious to know too, just on a side note, because I was thinking of a product idea and I wrote it down here for later. Not going to share live in case I can make millions off it yet, but have you guys used any AI tools? Have you got, or you personally, have you started to use it? Uh, yeah, before I touch on that, that I just wanted to just uh, piggyback off what you were saying there, Joey. And I think the issue is with a lot of these small businesses that it's really important to empower your team to feel like they have a voice within it as well. So I find, and I'm guilty of this too, is the person usually writing the paycheck for the team members is the person that's going to be the most intimidating to the rest of the team members too. <laughs> the one thing I did, I did A-B split testing sometimes when I would have Yuri on our, our weekly calls and stuff. And I'd be like, everyone was much quieter when he was on the call because there was that intimidation factor. Mm. So I told them like for the next two weeks, get off the calls, I'll record them. Let's see how they go. Because you remove that kind of like father figure within the business, he's paying me. I have to be a certain way. Um, we remove that. And then they feel comfortable not talking to the integrator because all I do is I'm the bridge or the broker between the staff and the visionary. And I find by having someone like that, or even if you are the CEO or the visionary, but you can't afford the integrator at this point, just let your team know that this is a completely open form and that no matter what you say, it's not going to be judged upon. And we're all here for open conversation. And when people feel like they can speak up and provide their feedback, whether this has been happening on customer service, we've seen these trends, we think this should improve, or let's make a quick change to the label because it's hard to understand what we're saying or whatever it is, it makes the dynamic better because you just have that open communication. And that goes with any relationship, to be honest. You know, you're married with kids, right? You know what that is. The better you talk to your spouse, the better things are. The more you hold in, Nothing good comes from that, as we know, right? So I just wanted to mention that. But on the AI side of things, absolutely. It's becoming a very important, critical part of our business where we have a spokesperson for Vitality now. His name is Dr. Sam Walters. He's the one that is that, that's on our video sales letters. He's a NASA scientist that helped us formulate our supplements. He's old now, though. He's in his early 80s. We always have to fly down to Arizona to do these video shoots for new VSLs we want to do or new video ads for YouTube. And the facts that we have an AI opportunity here, we're using the software called Synthesia, where we had a video shoot with Sam last month where we just had to film him in certain ways and mannerisms and him saying certain words that now we're able to put that content into Synthesia and make him say whatever we want him to say. So we actually never have to do another video shoot with Dr. Sam down the road. He's like, this is great. I'll still get paid. You can still use me after I die 20 years from now if you wanted to. <laughs> Dr. Sam will live on forever. He's happy because he's still getting the royalties. There's a trust factor there, of course. We're never going to say things that he would never agree to. But AI is the way of the future. And I'm still learning it as I go, man. And it is crazy, the power of it. It's scary, but also beneficial too. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was recently watching a show on Netflix called Upload. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's literally like the afterlife. And you can buy server space to keep your memories alive. And you just live through your memories, but your body obviously is no longer. But you can still communicate with your family. And I was like, wow, what an out of the world type of idea. And I'm like... Oh, not too far away, I bet. 
<laughs> yeah, it's crazy where technology is going. Man. Like, it's scary at the same time because I think we're the 80s generation where we grew up without the cell phone and internet and we got introduced to that at 17 or 18 when 1999 or whatever that is and where we are today. So who knows where we're going to be 10 years from now, right? And everything we do, like copywriting, for example, is that something you could just put into chat GPT these days and compete with a, a, a copywriter that would charge $25,000 for a VSL. So it's interesting. I'm scared of it, but I'm also seeing the benefit too. So we'll see what happens. I think you nailed it. I think everyone's a little bit scared of it, but it's also like, we know it's there. So we got to try to train. It's like, you know, if you get a wolf or something in the wild and you want to train it to be your pet type of thing, there's some risk with it, but <laughs> it can pay off. Right. And yeah, I always had this hunch or like, I'm like, maybe a fear or just this thought. But if I just woke up one day and I realized that this whole life I just thought I had for the past 37 years was just a one night dream when I got to start over and I'm like, it worries me that sometimes when I'm having days with AI and I'm like, what if this is all just simulation that someone's pulled, you know, I'm a big Matrix fan, right? So I'm not a conspiracy right. theorist, but like, I can totally see that happening. Who knows? Um, blue pill or the red pill, right? <laughs> yeah, man, I forget which one it was, but I always think about that even with the career choices like these days with corporate companies. And the other thing too to highlight, we're talking about this fantasy world to some people. Maybe it's, wow, that does, I can't exist. I can't live that way. And it's also, it's not like that with every online company either. So just, again, I'm going to get into a few questions about that next, but just pay attention who you're aligning yourself to. What's the timeline to get like, so you walk into a company, they're doing 10 million bucks, but they're struggling operationally. They just, they need help. They need an atom to come in. What does that look like timeline wise on average? Are we talking like one year, all of a sudden they doubled sales or how long can we expect before we see results? Well, I guess one thing I'm never going to guarantee is that, hey, by bringing me into your company, you're going to two extra revenue because there's so many variables that come into that. You know, what if iOS update just crushes your Facebook ads or anything happens with your VSLs, but they're not converting. But one thing I can promise people when I come into their company or I just give them advice is I'm going to make your life easier. That's my goal is I'm trying to simplify things that shouldn't be complex in the first place. And I think a lot of human beings have just this knack of overcomplicating shit that should never be complicated in the first place. And what I'll do usually it's like, if I'm just going in to just provide like more of an audit and be like, Hey, these are my recommendations on what you should follow. I would say to really dial in and understand a business at 10 million, it would probably take me a good like 90 days, I would say, to really fundamentally understand it and then provide them with a playbook that they can follow to really clean up shop and hire the right people and have them understand who should be doing the hiring, you know, talking with the entire team to see if they're fitting in the right seats. Because that's the problem. Sometimes people have eight players on their team, but they're just not in the wrong right seats, right? Mm -hmm. Like marketers handing cash flow. Like why would a marketer be handling cash flow? Like marketers are the worst with money because they know how to make it. They just don't know how to organize it and manage it. Right. So those are very important things. And then really looking at uh, the bottom line financially for the company, if profit is an issue for them, work and they save some cash and ultimately just going through everything that is taught in the EOS method and making sure that they follow that process. And another thing that we haven't mentioned, which is extremely important, is documenting and automating as much as you can. So a lot of people are very routine based. I think it's just in human to human nature just to do the same thing in and out. Like I wake up at 5 30 in the morning because I'm just used to doing it all the time. It's just part of like how I'm programmed right now. Like it's just how it goes. I've worked with people where 
I'll talk to him about something one day. And then I figured out two months later, they were still doing the same thing. And I asked him, I'm like, well, why are you doing this when we can just document it together on a quick checklist or a process? And then we can delegate that to one of our VAs and they can do that for you. For example, we have malicious comments on some of our Facebook ads. And I found out like one of my colleagues who's this way above her pray grade, she just kept on going in there and removing these comments. And I'm like, why are you still doing that? We have a virtual assistant. So tell me exactly step by step, just like an airline pilot that's about to operate a plane, they have this big checklist that they go through step by step to make sure everything's covered before they take off. Otherwise, shit's going to happen. So we will make it so understandable that a fourth grader can read this process and follow it to a T without any issue. That's a very critical component of this because the more you spend time on low leverage things, the less time you have to spend on bigger levers. So I'll ask these people, like, tell me what your day looks like. Let's go through everything. And then I'm just going to push back at them and like, why do you keep on doing these things? And honestly, it's a very humbling experience for these business owners too, because you're really calling them out on the shit that they're not doing right. And a lot of people have issues with that because people get insecure and they get self-conscious. And I always tell them, I'm like, I'm not doing this to put you down. And I'll always do it. And of course, in a pleasant polite way. But if you really have this vision for your company, listen to me. And I promise you, your life is going to get easier. Can't guarantee you're going to make more money, but I guarantee you'll have better systems in place that is going to make the efficiency and capacity of your team members much more better than it currently is. There's a guy that joined the company recently, his name's Trevor, an amazing guy, amazing mind. And he instilled in me, stop saying failure. He's like, cause I was like, oh, it's a failure. I'm failing, I'm failing. To your point, you go into a business, you like identify, hey, we need to work on this. And it's all, so people can get defensive, but I like the, the way he twisted it is that he's like, this is an opportunity for growth. And now every time I go to say failure, I just replace that with, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. And all of a sudden, like, and I catch myself quite a bit and I'm noticing it. I'm like, wow, I'm saying failure quite a bit. Let's, why? But now when I go, hey, this is an opportunity for us to fix this, to grow the business. I, I like that reframing. Yes. And something else you said was really powerful and it ties into systems. Everyone thinks systems, but no one thinks documentation. And everyone can get super scared. Oh, I don't want to take the time out. I don't want to sit down and like write out things. Everyone could do a Loom video. Unless yeah. there's like a logic of A, B, C, especially with comments, maybe that's a little bit different. But if you're just doing something transactional every day, I don't do written SOPs, standard operating procedures. I do yeah. a Loom. I say, this is what I'm doing. I send it off to somebody that gets transcribed, maybe through AI. My EA will do it for me. And then she'll be responsible for taking it to the next step. But it's really easy to create those documents and just have the habit. Stop, be disciplined record this as a loom. If it's something you're doing daily, and I would also suggest before just creating a system, make sure it's something you're doing optimally and yeah. enough that it warrants a system. Because if you just did something once, like, oh, I should document that, but like you didn't have anybody audit it, yeah. it's gonna come back to bite you. <laughs> and, yeah. and just one quick note on that too, Joey, is like when you have like a process and a checklist to follow, there's also accountability that comes with that too for the person following that process. So let's say, my project manager is putting together like a VSL edits and one component of, of it was missed. I'll ask them, I'll be like, did you follow the checklist to a T and we'll go through it. And it wasn't followed. And I'm like, why wasn't it followed? And of course, like, I'm going to be lenient. You're not going to like fire the person after the first day. But if this is an ongoing issue, when you've given them all the tools to succeed, clearly it probably wasn't a good hire at that point because they're not paying attention to the details when it's completely outlined for them. Right. So 
that of course comes back to the hiring process, but maybe we'll save that for I know <laughs> conversation. No, it's true. And alternatively, if they did follow it and it didn't achieve the result, okay, it's time to audit that system. It's time that something's not working here. Yeah, I'd love to have you on for part two of this, but I do want to wrap up with a couple last minute questions here. And then we've got a bit of a personal side. So it's a hot seat, as it were, if this wasn't a hot seat enough for you. But let's <laughs> talk about a beer, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will say before we move into the hiring process, the difference, and you're, you've mentioned it too, and I've heard so many people say it, like operations and systems is what takes you to a sustainable result company versus just like a volatile, we're up and down, we don't know what's happening tomorrow, and we're constantly stressed. Yeah. Whenever we instilled EOS with bio-optimizers, whenever we started to do scaling up, which is the evolution of traction, yeah. we've been doubling the business every single year, if not like, you know, 30, 40% growth, but we are now in hyper growth mode. So like the growth isn't doubling every time, but that was the major difference. The product mapping didn't change, our values and ethics didn't change. It was what we're implementing as systems. After that, that was it. Because systems don't just limit yourself to how to create a campaign. It's how you hire people. It's how you treat people. It's your meeting setup. It's your constant check-ins. So let's talk about the next process of this because I wanna ask you two questions. One, if you're an operator and you wanna align yourself with a company, what's the best way to do that? But also, you've created a really unique situation and maybe it's not available to everybody, but I would always suggest everyone swing for the fences on this. And I've done in my own career. I, I hate saying career, by the way. It's like the C word. It's just, I don't, it's like a native every time I do it, right? It's like yeah. my passion. It's my life. It's my lifestyle. But yeah. like, how do you swing for the fences when you're going after? So you've identified this awesome company and vice versa, by the way, company owners, making sure that you set someone up for success from the start where it feels more like Adam's been saying a partnership. Um, what would be like a great partnership deal that you could walk in and help a company and you both have a win-win deal in place? It's a great question. So then I guess it just comes back down to the revenue conversation. And again, I'll never guarantee revenue growth, but I know revenue growth is going to happen by the mm -hmm. system that I implement with their team. So if thankfully I'm in a situation now that I've been in this space for so long that people are um, coming after me, I don't have to follow uh, find co contacts, which is amazing or businesses but not everyone's going to have that opportunity. And one reason I have that opportunity is because I've proven this multiple times, but also just from going to events and meeting people because mm -hmm. our space is very small. It's a small niche. So everyone knows each other and reputation's everything. And when you're a good person, you do good business, you don't screw anyone over, people are going to want to work with you. So I think that's very important. But if I was going to like try to like proactively try to recruit a company to work with, I would just be like, listen, if you're at $10 million today, instead of you paying me, or maybe you can give me a small retainer for my time, a couple grand a month or whatever it is, how about I just enjoy the fruits of our labor working together and anything above 10 million for the next indefinite amount of time, I'm going to get a certain percentage of. So those are always negotiable. Maybe it's 50% if it's a small business, maybe it's 10%. It really all depends on the infrastructure, but I think at that point, when you're in the negotiation side of things, it's probably important to talk to people like myself or like you, Joey, as well, just to see like what you may have done in that circumstance too, because everything is subjective. Like it's, there's no objectivity to it. Every agreement's different and we can't just put a number on it, but ultimately people don't want to just pay you 20 grand a month to come in there to clean up the company because they want you to put your money where your mouth is, where it's like, okay, well, if you think you're really good. Let's see what you're made of. I'll pay you a bit, but you can just reap the rewards of any growth that you actually bring to the company by implementing these systems and processes within the business. 
Yeah, and, and that, that's really cool. So <laughs> there's a value equation here, right? If somebody comes to me and says, I just want performance-based because I'm that confident in my services to you, I don't really care about retainer. I'm like, dude knows his stuff. Like, this is the guy I want versus the guy that comes to me is like, give me $50,000 and, you know, we'll work for, together for three months. And I'm like, yeah, no, I prefer cutting that in half and giving you like a percentage of equity over that period of time. And if, yeah. they, don't, if they don't step up to that, they're yeah. not worth it. And that's so I think coming at it from a, a point of confidence and, and value adding to a business if someone came to me and said, hey, listen, I want to grow this new channel for you. You guys haven't even started this one. And yeah. I want to take X percentage from it, though, for my time. And I also need a bit of a base because to keep, you know, the lights on in the house. I'd be like, yeah, totally. That's a win-win. Everyone yeah. loves hybrid deals. I do hybrid deals all, all day long with partners, with employees, people, you know, with different companies, businesses. That's what you want to do. And I think that, that going in with that type of confidence into a, a job interview, even, like if that's where you're at and you're just doing interviews, no yeah. one else is doing that kind of stuff. And to me, that's always what gets my attention. And just to piggyback off that too, man, like, Joy, I can't tell you how important it is to make sure you're writing or working with the right people as well. And that's right. one thing I've learned through my career. Like after I'd sold the company with Yuri, I was just about to sell it. I had an amazing relationship with my chiropractor in Toronto. He had this pain relief cream called Muscle Care, and he was selling it in CVS and Walgreens and Shoppers Drug Mart out here. And, he's, and the shopping channels had him on selling like, $5 million worth of inventory every year, but I'm making like 10 cents a bottle. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I told him like, listen, I know you've never heard of direct response marketing, but this is my plan for your product. You don't have to give me anything, but if I show you this works, I'm gonna take the first $250,000 of revenue to pay me for my time and building the funnel and everything. We'll sell your product and then everything after that, we'll figure that agreement out when the time comes. Within like launching the product within two months, we were crushing it. I think we did $700,000 in sales. Everything was good. Came time to have that conversation about what is this partnership going to look like moving forward? And he's, I'm happy giving you like five to 10% of all revenue profit. I'm like, the fact that you think I'm only worth five to 10% of net profit for all this revenue I've just shown you over the last two months just made me realize that he's a very greedy, selfish individual mm -hmm. that thinks just because he formulated this product that he should deserve everything. But at the end of the day, anything can be duplicated. All, it all comes down to how you sell whatever you're selling. So that made me realize in that situation that I need to only be working with people that are on the same page as me, that is that are not greedy, that understand my value, and that you're not gonna be butting heads at every meeting that you have together. Because if that's the case, you're setting everyone up for failure in that situation. So my most important thing, if you guys are in a business partnership and you're not running the ship yourself, make sure that you guys are aligned with the goal for the company and that each other's skill sets complement each other and don't overlap. Because if they overlap, there's gonna be a lot of heading butts or yeah, butt heading or heading butts. I don't know what I said. It's just a recipe for disaster. So just make sure you guys are aware of that. Yeah, and yeah, don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to give if you're a company owner because you're gonna get back 10, tenfold. So listen, I know that you don't have a, a formal offer today to offer, but I think that you've got massive value a lot of information and a lot of superpowers to share with the world. So anybody on listening to this call, this podcast, if you want to touch base with Adam, everyone knows how to find people, okay? But it's gonna lead us into another question here. If anybody does wanna connect with you, Adam, what's the best way to do so? 
I would say you can add me as a friend on Facebook. Maybe I should come up with a website and just have yeah. like com or something like that, just so people can see my bio and whatnot. But for now, I would say just reach out to me on Facebook. It's Adam Elkheim as well. My name will be, of course, on the podcast title. I don't have all the time in the world these days, but I would be. it would be my pleasure to spend a few minutes with you to help you understand your business and exactly maybe small little tidbits of information I can help you out with. It would be my absolute pleasure. Awesome. Appreciate that. Now, we're going to get to a hot seat section. This is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. And the reason I started the podcast, because I wanted to make connections. I wanted to network. I wanted to get to know people beyond the business side. Now, you and I are friends, so we're kind of already there, but I'm still going to put you through the ringer here. What's your number one partner up power move? Meaning, I've sent people physical books and I've written in them. And it, like, it gets their attention. Other people have sent like video postcards. What's something that either you've done or have done to you that got your attention? You're like, wow, that was really creative. And that finally got you to pick up the phone for that next call, that next step. Great question. I think it's all about understanding what the person you are reaching out to really enjoys in life. So for example, Joey, like you know me well at this point, say you're thinking about me at Christmas time. You're like, you know what? I want to send Adam something, but I'm going to send him something that he really loves. So maybe you'll send me a gift card to Golf Town or a dozen balls of golf balls or something that would be really cool that when I receive it, I'm like, wow, Joey really put a lot of thought into this before he sent it. That to me means the world. Someone sending me like, and you probably get these too, man. And I love all of you out there, by the way, for sending these to me. But when I get a postcard at Christmas with a picture of your family, I love your family. They're beautiful. But it doesn't really do anything for me in terms of me reaching out and be like, thank you so much for thinking about me. It's just like sending out a mass broadcast, but not putting a name at the top of it and just be like, dear subscriber. That's kind of what it feels like. So when I'm reaching out to people, I will always send them something that I think could be of value to them. It could be a planning book, like the Ethic planners that I use from Dave Ruel. I sent those out to Robbie and a couple other team members and they just love it and they're still using it today. I've sent people tickets to baseball games before because they were interested in baseball games or I don't know, a case of beer. Like it could be anything for that matter. But the most important thing is really understanding your friend or your potential business partner, what they're interested in and making sure that uh, you're complimenting whatever you're sending them with what they'd be interested in. Yeah, I mean, that, that's super powerful and not everyone takes the time because it, it takes time. You have to get to know it the does. person. But sure. I think genuine connections are better than a bunch of uh, people that you know and but you really don't know. Um, I'd so rather not receive anything than receive that generic postcard, to be honest. You yeah. know? It's just, I'm just on your list. That's all yeah. it is, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and that's going to continue to evolve, especially as we have AI. I can imagine the personal <laughs> touches you can do these days. So Absolutely. that's a good one, though. I like yeah, that. For sure. All right, now we've got 10 questions, and they're basically elevator pitch questions real fast. What are you thinking? First thing that pops in your mind. So let's go. Favorite food? Pizza. Best memory? Almost having a hole-in-one at TPC Sawgrass in Florida, which is one of my favorite places. <laughs> All right, if you had another go-around and you got to write a new story for your life, what would it be in 30 seconds or less? That's a good question. Okay, so because golf is my secondary passion in life, it would have to be around golf. I wish I started playing golf when I was younger. Mm. I wish that I had an opportunity of playing on the PGA Tour, battling against Tiger Woods at one of the major championships, and probably losing to him, but I don't even care if I lost because the, just the fact that I was involved in that moment 
would have been everything for me. So if I had to do my life over again and I had that choice, that would be the only thing I would change what I currently have to do something like that. I like that. I could see that. What's your best productivity hack? Waking up early, for sure, and getting the most important work done first thing in the morning. My brain is just so much better and efficient. Most, probably like most people out there, that that 6 to 9 a.m. window, no one's going to bother you. That's your deep work time. That's when you're going to maximize the most efficiency out of the day. Now, do you want to retire? Yes or no? And if yes, what else do you want to do? And if not, what are you continuing to do? I don't ever want to officially retire. I'd probably want to retire from the day-to-day -day operations of what I currently do and maybe be more of the visionary and maybe be more of the, the executive team. I would say that that would be one component. My goal is still to reach the PGA Tour Seniors Tour by the age of 50. And so that's still a goal of mine. So if that doesn't pan out, I could never imagine myself not doing something with my day, Joey. Even if I was golfing every day, I need to be in business one way or another, whether that's venture capitalism, investments, buying and selling companies, there will always be some kind of business involved for the rest of my life. Yeah, and that's always my stress test. If anyone comes on the podcast and says, I'm going to retire, go drink beer on a beach somewhere. Hey, that's cool for like a week. But yeah, that's probably anybody that's in that mindset. Yeah, I think that they're in the wrong business or the yeah. wrong career. So the bank, that's what they exactly. should do. Yeah. What book changed your life? What book changed my life? That is a great question. I would say for me personally, and this might be a little sappy, is probably The Five Love Languages, mm. which is a very small book. It's only like a 60-pager, but I've always been really like, I guess more on the emotional side, maybe it's my Arabic background. Uh, my dad's Moroccan, so I've always been very in touch with my emotions, but also connecting to other people too. So if I understand my love languages, then I'm probably going to understand exactly or ask questions to other people to better connect with them. So some people are touchy-feely, some people are just acts of service or gifts, other people is just kind of being there for them, right? So the more I understand people's love languages, and it doesn't have to be, of course, like an intimate love language, it can just be as friendships too. I feel like that gives me an opportunity of expanding deeper into my relationship with other people. I, I completely second that. And I'm always hesitant to tell people that the five love languages like changed my life because it seems like such a simple concept. And everyone's like, oh yeah, the five love languages. But it did. It was super simple to get. And I'm like, oh wow, that's why I don't like getting gifts. I don't want gifts. I hate gifts in a way almost. Like, you know, I like some of course, but like I'm, I'm more of, I like giving gifts to people. Yeah. But learning those things, Networking, relationships, especially with your wife, your spouse, whomever, super powerful. So yeah, great book. Yeah, and like after I read it, Yuri read it as well. And there's one thing that I always loved with Yuri, it's like an acknowledgement. So for me, I need to almost be reinforced that I'm doing a good job. Not as much these days, but growing up, like I was bullied and stuff and I had a lot of insecurities. And he would write me these letters every Christmas that I was always so excited to get because it always showed his deep appreciation for what I was doing within the company. And he knew that was my love language. And because of that, we were always able to have this amazing bond while we worked because those letters meant every, any, everything to me. He might not have said anything during the year, but when I would get those cards, it'd be like, you know what, this was all worth it. All that hard work and all the time spent and knowing that I have that support from my brother meant the world to me. So that's why it was so important. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered, and this is of course general, not related to business. I just, as I get older, the more I just realize, I just want to be a good person, man. I think I did a lot of shady stuff when I was in my younger years and hanging out with the wrong group. And I think you are what your group of friends are too. So as I've gotten older, it's just like, I just want to put out into the world what I would love to receive back. So I always want to give more than I ask for. 
because I feel like I volunteered coach volleyball for six years pre-pandemic. And that was like, honestly, probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life, aside from the career stuff, because me growing up, my parents separated when I was only five years old. So I didn't really have the father figure. I had my brother who's three years older than me. He was tough on me growing up. So I didn't really have a mentor and a guider or a guidance when I was kind of going through high school and I was completely lost. And the reason I loved coaching volleyball, sure, I understand the skills required to be a good volleyball player, the technical aspects of it. But ultimately, I think my unique ability with those kids was the, empowering them to be the best versions of themselves between the age of 14 and 18. Like when I started coaching there, they were in grade 10, a lot of these kids, I pretty much coached them all the way until they were grade 12. And one day, one of the students comes to me, he's like, coach, how are you here four times a week at two o'clock in the afternoon? My parents, they work every day. They come pick us up after the games, but that's pretty much it. What do you do? So I'm like, you know what guys, next practice, I canceled the practice. I brought them into a classroom and I pretty much explained to them exactly what I do for business. And the light bulb went off in their head where it's like, oh, well, my parents always told me I had to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, maybe there's other options. So lo and behold, like three or four years later, these kids have graduated from university at this point. And like four of them have gotten into e-com businesses now. Mm. And I'm so happy about that because I just loved giving back and being a mentor to these children because I think like I changed their path in life to something that they were really passionate about. And that meant the world to me. So I would probably have to say that's it. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's been one of my passions, projects that I wanted to take on for a long time. And I, I haven't. So that's an inspiration to at least open people's eyes to the potential of the opportunity, whether it's for them or not, take the red pill, the blue pill, but giving the younger generation that glimpse of what that looks like. So I love that. Now, tied to that maybe or separately, but what is one skill that you'd wish every kid developed at an earlier age to have maximum impact in life? Probably communication, man. I never went to university after high school. I'm not formally educated. A lot of stuff that I learned was just kind of going through, you know, uh, the different experiences that I had. But I think one of my unique abilities as an individual is I can talk to anyone and I love asking questions and I love learning from people. I've always been better like learning from someone like you than going into a classroom and reading something for three hours. It just never was my way of learning. So I would say that, and especially these days, man, with phones and social media, it's scary. Like when I go to the gym or I'm at Starbucks or something, how many people are just looking at their phones the entire time, have no social awareness whatsoever on what's going on around them. But the problem is the more introverted you become like that, like sure, I'm an introvert. You are to a certain extent as well. Most of us are. I still know that relationship building is the most important thing you can possibly do in your life not just for the business aspect of it, but just to grow as an individual and have good people around you. The more successful I become, Joey, the one thing I've realized is that money does not bring happiness. It brings comfort and opportunity. But when I pass away, hopefully a long, long time from now, I'm gonna look at the relationships that I've nurtured in my life and the experience that I've had with those individuals. So I think communication is just such a critical thing to learn and to just understand because it's going to set you up for success no matter what you do in the future. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. I've got two young children now 
and I'm constantly aware of, and I don't really know what the steps are gonna be for the communication component, but I think that it is putting down the device, looking around, being friendly, talking with people. And I've noticed my little boy now is like saying hi to people because he doesn't have a device yet. He's three yeah. years old and he'll like say hi to people in restaurants and they say hi back and I see a smile on their face. And I see a smile on his face. And I'm like, that's the start of something great, you know, as opposed to just being head down, tuned out. Yeah. So, and honestly, just tell them too. It's like, just be who you are and don't be afraid yeah. of that because everyone is different and no one's perfect and people make mistakes in life and it's okay. You learn from those mistakes. And I guarantee that anyone listening to this call, like whatever you failed from, Joey and I have failed from it too. Like my story, it wasn't all perfect. There was years of struggle there to get to the point where I am. But thankfully, I was able to learn from those mistakes and not repeat them and hopefully communicate those to you guys well enough that you'll be able to implement some of these strategies within your life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. And my number one skill that I always go back to, what you're referring to is adaptation. Like I used to not be able to adapt and evolve fast enough. And now I've gotten so used to quote unquote failures, opportunities to grow that I just like, I bounce, I keep going. So yeah, definitely make mistakes, be yourself, do whatever you want to do and keep learning from it and keep refining it. Cause that's it, right? I make mistakes all the time in golf and it drives me crazy, but I'll never be perfect at golf. And that's why I love it because it's always a challenge every single time I play, just like with small business. Yeah. I don't know if I could vouch for that because I call <laughs> some, I think just, yeah, but yeah, I hear you on that. So then, don't worry. <laughs> besides, besides being on tour, besides doing uh, another hole in one eventually soon, if we're meeting up in a year from today, what's something you're working at that you'd want to celebrate completing in a year from now? With Vitality now, we're at the point of actually selling the company. So we've been able to scale it uh, significantly over the last six to 12 months. And we had a significant impact on our business when the iOS stuff came out a couple of years ago. So we were on the verge of bankruptcy actually over 12 months ago. Wow. So it was not all smooth sailing with this company either. But thankfully, because of an amazing team and getting rid of dead weight that was on the team that was just not jiving with the ultimate goal here in our vision, we were able to turn everything around. So if I had to see you a year from now, and I'm definitely going to see you before that, I would say that selling the company within the year, we have a new owner, I fully onboarded them, and I've completely exited out of that company. So then Robbie and I can move on to the next venture that we want to move on to work on. That's ultimately where I'd like to be by June 22nd of next year. Yes. Man, I love that. I'm going to hold you to it. I put it in my calendar, by the way, and I always make sure to keep you accountable. <laughs> I promise you this is going to happen. I promise you. That's my I, plan. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Then another thing, last question here, what's one bucket list item that Adam still wants to do in his life? Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about this morning. So I've been able to do some incredible things this year. Like I've, I'm a huge aviation enthusiast. I've always wanted to fly on Air Emirates A380, that big double-decker mm -hmm. Airbus that they fly. I ended up finding an amazing seat sale through points and I went there randomly like a month ago in business class. It was so cool. So that was definitely a bucket list thing right there. My other one is I love animals. I love cats. I love dogs. I love everything. But I've always wanted to do a safari in South Africa and really experience those animals out in nature. That would be the amazing thing for me. So that's probably the one big bucket list thing. Yeah, man, send me an invite. I'm totally game to go do that with you too. Let's <laughs> all this company and then we'll be uh, hopefully talking about that ball now in South Africa. <laughs> I have no doubt you're going to do that. And I have no doubt that you're going to just continue to do amazing things. And it's been a pleasure today. It's been a pleasure to know you all these years. And thank you for sharing your message. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Adam Alkheim. 
get a hold of him. He'll find money in your business. You didn't even know that you had. <laughs> and that's it for today's episode. We'll see you on the next one. That's all we've got for this Partner Up Profits podcast episode. As always, I hope you leave here today with one new idea that you can apply to your life and business. I'd be forever grateful to you for leaving a review of this episode. And if you like it, rate it a five or give it a thumbs up and just leave a quick comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at partnerupprofits.com on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you're just one partnership away from changing your business. Let others do the selling for you and get ready to partner up and profit.